if the only tool that you have is just to grit through frustration, you're not going to see these opportunities. From Spa Dameron Tenney, it's the Prosperous Doc Podcast. Real stories, real inspiration, real growth. A show for doctors who are ready to improve their overall wellness in every aspect of life. Now here's your host, Shane Tenney. Welcome back to the Prosperous Doc Podcast. My name is Shane Tenney and glad to have you with us today for a conversation that I'm sure will meander as we unpack the story of my guest, but it will cover no less than a discussion on um, grit and the right kind and the wrong kind and whether that word grit means something to you from the Western movie uh, made famous by Jeff Bridges, I think a decade ago, or perhaps it rings a bell from a TED talk by Brene Brown. Um, grit is something that is innate and in some ways required for those of you in medicine or in dentistry as you put your head down and go. But it is also a really important thing to understand and to unpack. And so I'm excited to be with you today with my guest, Dr. Rob Orman. Um, Rob trained at Emory and in Denver, worked for over two decades as an emergency medicine physician until uh, he transitioned now to being a certified executive coach specifically for physicians. And I should give a shout out to the uh, well-acclaimed podcast, Stimulus, so uh, if you enjoy the conversation with Rob today, you can definitely want to check out his podcast, Stimulus, uh, and we're going to unpack a variety of things around this topic today. Rob, thanks so much for joining me. Wow, Shane, what an intro. Appreciate you having me. Hey, we tried to tee him up high. That's what we tried to do. <laughs> that, was a, that was like a Larry King softball intro. Loved it. There you go. So before we dive in to kind of our topic and, and see where the, the story will take us today, I know everybody has kind of a unique story. Um, you and I were talking a little bit about the your journey before I, I push the record button here. As I mentioned, you are one of those uh, physicians who spent years and years and years in clinical medicine and now have seen it fit for you to make a transition. Tell us a little bit about that journey. Uh, so as you said in the intro, I, I spent a couple decades, 21 years in clinical community emergency medicine. And in the first 10 years of my practice, I had three burnouts, three major burnouts. And I didn't really have any guidance on what to do. I really, I really didn't really even know what was going on. It was just, this is not sustainable. And you know, I was looking for different careers and different specialties. And I stayed in emergency medicine and found ways to navigate and mitigate those effects. But I kept coming back. And there were many things that I, I found as stressors, which we can get into. But the, suffice it to say, it was a lot. And I, I didn't know what I was doing. And really, I was just, okay, I just work harder and put my head down. Okay, so work is stressful. I'll just work harder. <laughs> and so one day I was driving in my car to work. I was stuck in traffic, aren't we all? And I was a little bit late for my shift. And, you know, an, an emergency doc, you are dealing with the worst of the worst things and it has approached whatever with equanimity. And I'm sitting there in traffic and this, this primordial scream comes up from inside of me. Just like, what is happening? Even as I tell that story, I could, I, my hair standing on end and I can feel the emotion. It's like, whoa. That is not who I want to be, how I want to live. And it was just this, I, it was like I was broken. 
So that was during the third period of burnout. And then I, I realized I needed to switch jobs because I could not make my current job work. So I ended up switching jobs. I got very heavily involved in medical education, which was a really a salvation in the second half of my career. It gave me such purpose. And I started doing that more and more. And eventually it became my full-time job. I was doing medical education full-time. It was like living the dream. I started a podcast called ERCast. Now, some of the listeners may have heard of it. I ran EM Rap, which is a, another medical education platform, worked for hippo education. Like these are all kind of the giants in emergency medicine education or medical education. But as I was doing that more and more, I actually started to get a little clinical skill decay because I was working fewer and fewer shifts. And so I found that in resuscitations, I was not as fighter pilot sharp. A fighter pilot is at their sharpest right after they get down from a dogfight, right? You know, they've just been in the moment. And so I realized that I was either going to have to go back to full-time in emergency medicine to get back to that state, or at least a really good chunk of shifts each month, or I was going to need to retire. I guess there were other options, but or, or I was going to retire and just do med ed full-time. So I did that. I went to medical education full-time. And the challenge or the trap I didn't anticipate with that was that it became increasingly hard to authentically deliver what I was doing, which was the tip of the spear education for ER docs. Like, all right, here's the latest. Here's what you need to know. Because I was living it. You know, I was, I was living it every day. I knew what the stressors were when I was not in that environment. I, I just, I wasn't as connected to it. And around that same time, I started Stimulus, what you're talking about. And that was a project just because I wanted to support physician well-being or healthcare professional well-being. I didn't know how to do that. So I just started this podcast. I was like, all right, this is what I know how to do. So I'm going to do that. And that is yeah, strategies, tactics, and habits to not just suck it up when you're talking about grit, but think differently. You know, Not just go through the motions, but think creatively about how can, you, how can we work through this. And so doing that work on stimulus, which you know I s- still do, is it right? Can I say it felt like a calling? Is this a safe space? Yeah, yeah. If that's <laughs> what it felt like to you, it uh, it it did. I and I'll honestly say, I had I, I don't think I've ever said this before on uh, in an interview, but that is the only way that I can describe it. And I'll be honest, I used to scoff at that a little bit, like oh, calling. Oh. It's so true. When you feel it, when you're connected to it, it just feels so right. So it's like, okay, th- whatever this is, this is where I want to dedicate my life because I had those experiences. Maybe that informed it or, or something. I love working with physicians. I mean, that's just, that's kind of, that's my tribe. And yeah. just, and I feel that it is such a valuable group of human beings that really face a lot of stress. And if I can help them navigate it, ah, it's just so rewarding. So like, that's what drives me. So I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. How do I do this in a, in a really expansive professional and I would say qualified, re- qualified way? Because with stimulus, I was just, hey, there's this cool idea. Let's check it out in an interview. But I, I wasn't qualified to guide people through this. So you know, spent a year going through a coaching academy, did that, got certification, started to practice. And now that's my full-time job. And I love it every day. Boom. There Boom. you go. There it is. Um, so uh, rewind the tape and, and let me slow it down for a minute, because if there's a topic that we get a fair amount of inquiry and question on, it is this topic of burnout. Okay. And I know there are people listening to us now 
who are in the in the midst of wrestling with that and in the midst of wrestling with am i really going through this or is this something that other people struggle with you described not only having three episodes of burnout in the first decade of your career but but i think you use the word kind of major episodes yeah i'm curious if if you could take us back to one of those events and just help us feel a little bit uh, what was going on around you what was going on in you and and how did it manifest uh, i'm gonna try to keep it together here this <laughs> is like it's just going back it's really hard to go back to it if you look at it from a very academic standpoint there's two questions on a burnout inventory that if you answer yes to either one of these then you're probably suffering from burnout and it's it's not a matter of oh are you it's a matter of <laughs> will you or have you because it's pretty much it's almost everybody at some point in, in healthcare. So it's, do I feel burnt out by my job or am I more callous towards people since I started this job, right? I mean, there's a two simple questions. But for me, burnout felt like drowning. Like I just couldn't keep my mouth above water. It was just, I couldn't catch my breath. Driving to work, there was a pit of acid in my stomach every day that, oh, I have to do this again all of this stuff. And it's like these little bits of trauma just adding up and adding up. And really the, the phrase that I would have when I knew that it was, I, I would say major or bad was, this is not sustainable. I cannot, ex I cannot exist in this way. So that meant I needed a pressure release valve. I needed to either get out or I needed to change what I was doing. So I trained hard in emergency medicine. It was, you know, did the residency, had the good jobs, and went to med school. Like all of my life dedicated to getting this point and thinking, I got to get out. Whoa, that is a lot. So the first time, I'll just talk about like a year and a half into my attending hood, I'm getting the applications for ophthalmology and anesthesia. And I'm thinking, how can I get out of this ER? How can I see things one at a time? And not all at once. Because that was a real stressor for me was the parallel processing that's involved in emergency medicine and just the pace. Like, how can I slow down the pace and still stay in medicine? I didn't. And it's interesting, uh, as, as I think about it, education and really embracing a purpose. Like, <laughs> it's like Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. You know, when you have that purpose, then, you know, work ceases to become work. And so my purpose in work became education. And it was, it was a variation on that each time. And it's like, okay, it's not just about going to the factory and making widgets or going through the motions. I have a real mission here to educate my peers and to educate my patients. And that was, that was a real salvation. And I could feel it too. You know, you go into work and you feel charged rather than defeated and drowning. And what happened that moved you from being in the water to belabor your drowning analogy, you know, for in some ways years, right? And, yeah. and each day maybe a little different as you bob up and down or get gasps of air, but but it's just feeling like you're swamped and I don't know what to do. And and I think I guess the word that I hear you flirting with is the fear of failure. Yes. To acknowledge that I can't keep this up, this thing that I have worked for you know, in some ways all my life and, and the last 10 years of education and undergrad and med school and residency. And 
am I really going to speak out loud the words that I'm drowning? And to move from being in the water to then being able to, to look at it from above and help your colleagues or help your peers. Talk a, a, about that transition a little bit. Wow, what a question. Holy smokes, I, I seem to process that for a moment. So what you just asked is like jet fuel, that question. It is, it is so potent and poignant because we come from a place of being like these superheroes. We can get it done. We're the cowboys or cowgirls or the lone wolf. We don't fail. We don't lose. How did we get to this point of being physicians? We got to the funnel because we won and failing was not an option. There's probably very few Fs in the grades or the papers or the tests of the people listening to this were such high achievers. And admitting failure or admitting defeat is such a stretch because we have this, I would say, ego projection or this projection of who we are, or at least who we are presenting ourselves to the world to be. And so it was very painful to admit that to myself, that I had, I guess you could say failed, or I never really liked that word, but I would say defeated. I was defeated. I was defeated by this situation. So what do I do? Am I just going to do nothing and you know, not respond? Or am I going to think of a way to bounce back? I, uh, <laughs> I, was, I would tell you a story about from when I was a kid the biggest failure of growing up. And I was able to kind of evoke or invoke or just bring this back during these times. So when I was a teenager, I was in the martial arts. Actually, I was in the martial arts for most of my younger life and then into mid-adulthood. You know, I, I taught classes. I, I, it was, that was my life. And so I was testing for my black belt. And I mean, this is, it was six years to get to this point. So I started when I was 10, I'm 16 years old. And part of the test for being a, for getting a black belt is you had to punch, just a punch through two boards. So two inches of pine, man, I was tiny and skinny. I had these, the, what would be the opposite of Popeye's arms? Maybe like little, little noodle arms, noodle arms, these little noodle arms. And so I, and there's like this big crowd. It was just, you know, the, I grew up in a small town and this karate studio was this really big deal. So here I am testing my black belt and here's the final thing I have to do. And I have to break these two boards. It's like, yeah, here's the moment, karate kid. And I hit the boards and whack, no break, whack, no break. And I'm punching it and punching it and punching it. My hand is bleeding. Nothing, nothing. It's not breaking. And so then you don't get the results right then. You get the results two weeks later. And so they're announcing the results in the class, in the middle of the class. And I failed. I failed my black belt test. And it's just announced in front of the whole community. I'm like, whoa, this sucks. And so I went to my instructor. I said, what, what do I need to do? He said, you need to figure out how to break those boards. So I trained and trained for a month. I mean, it's like a montage, like a Rocky montage going through this. So one day, just he and I in an empty studio says, you get one chance. And he holds up the boards in front of me. It's just me and him. Oh, I just settled down there. The pine goes shattering all over. I punched right through it. It was like, and it felt like I was breaking a saltine cracker. And so I go into his office afterwards and he says, 
He puts my black belt on. He said, I said, what do you, how, how is this here? He says, I've had this the whole time. I always believed in you. You just had to believe in yourself. And so that failure, that initial failure was crushing, right? It's like, you know, here I am like the teacher in the school and, you know, in this, you know, really exalted position of getting to test for the black belt. And I failed in front of the community. And so when I was in that position of defeat or failure as a physician of the burnout, I kind of went back to that place like, hey, you know what? I have been here before. I have failed. And there is a way through this. There is a way to figure this out. And it might not be what I thought it was. It might not be just, you know, what I had projected as what was going to happen in the future. You know, like, ah, here's my path. Like, I need to figure out something which is more thoughtful, more than just, you know, putting your head down and grinding through it. Because like breaking that board, it was, I didn't really have the muscles to do it. It was, I had to figure out how to, it's in the martial arts term, you know, punch through it and make it disappear. And so I don't even remember what the original question was. We just, uh, we got it. We got into teenage karate story right there. Yeah. Well, but, uh, but I'll pivot and bring us back to the question because the question was for a colleague, for a client of yours that you're coaching for a listener of the podcast now, thinking about their own place in their career or, or a colleague of theirs who they can see is dealing with burnout. And I think what you've introduced, and I just want to take a minute to highlight because it's so critical is part of among many aspects of dealing with burnout. Part of the challenge is that it pushes against the untouchable nerve of a physician. And that is the nerve of failure. Yes. Which has been, which in some ways uh, is cauterized so you can get through all the training and all the tests and never get enough and never, um, never fail. But you're face to face with the immovable object, which is I can't change this and I am drowning. And so I guess I'll reframe the question, which is how did you a decade ago or how do you now help clients reframe that word failure or that fear of failure to free them to then go and look at it from a different perspective? Well, a couple of things. I think within yourself, you know, if you are feeling like, okay, this is too much for me, when you can admit that to yourself and just, it is so freeing because then you can get creative. The whole thing of like, you can, you were talking about grit before. I mean, it's such an interesting term which, you know, we think of grit like this oak tree that doesn't bend in the storm. And right, for the physicians, the high-level performers, we all got it. We all got it. But that doesn't give a creative solution. So if I'm working with, let's just say I'm working with a client and this is uh, super common. A doc comes and says, hey, I'm feeling burnt out. It's like, okay, well, what's going on at work? What are the things that you think are burning you out? What are your stress points? And usually it's a really long list. And EMR, underappreciation, overwhelm. I mean, there's just, it, it goes on and on. And so it's like, okay, well, what's one thing in your work that needs to change? Or it could be your life. What's one thing in your life needs to change? It's actually, it's the same approach. What's one thing that needs to change? Or where do you want to start? And I'll give you an example of a client I had who they wanted to leave medicine. 
They actually came to me for career coaching. They said, this sucks. I am out. So they came, they said, I want career coaching. <laughs> I want to figure out what can I do besides this? I go, well, what's going on? Nobody appreciates me. Nobody appreciates anyone. My patients don't appreciate me. Staff doesn't appreciate other from the administration. Okay, this is a like a gratitude-free zone. So it's like, okay, well, we'll start there because you can only start with the first step. Like people, you know, you see all of these different stressors, but it's like, I want to address everything all at once. Yes, we will get there, but let's just start with one step, one thing at a time. My actually, my uh, one of my mentors, one of my coaching mentors, makes the analogy of like the Ed Sullivan show when there's a guy spinning 16 plates, says he just puts up one at a time, not all 16. So start with your first one or juggle one ball. So this client came saying, nobody appreciates me. So before in that other, that other approach of just grit, if your approach to that is, I'm just going to put my head down and grind it out and grit it out. Mm, that's really, that's really not a thoughtful way. I wouldn't say thoughtful, but that's not going to really be a viable tactic for that. So how do we think differently? So the question is, in a situation like this or any situation, where's your agency? Where can you act? And you think, so, okay, something like appreciation, mm, like where do I have a pre, uh, uh, agency for that? Nobody, I, I can't make anyone appreciate me. So for her, what we did, I said, all right, let's just run an experiment. Our, your next shift, I want you, before you walk in the door, to say or think, I'm open to accepting gratitude from my patients and staff. That's it. And I don't want this to be a little bit of openness. I want this to be like a 50-dish radio telescope turned up to maximum sensitivity, right? Anytime you pick up gratitude at all, just pause. Just pause and really acknowledge it. Because we usually don't acknowledge it. You know, we usually just kind of give it short shrift or you know, or, or, or don't even notice that it's there. So just pause and look at the other person in the eye and say, you know, say whatever, you're welcome, or that means a lot, or it was a pleasure caring for you and your family. Just let them know that it registered and let you know to yourself that you were appreciated. Don't do anything different, but just be aware of it. So a few weeks later, we met again. I mean, she, I mean, she was beaming, just had this like smile ear to ear. So the first shift when she was open to accepting gratitude, when you know she understood where her agency was in that, it was a completely different universe. She'd been practicing for 20 years, like two decades of doing this. And it's like, whoa, this is like a different job. And then the next shift, it was even better. Her sensors were up and she was just finding gratitude everywhere. And when it was her intention, then it became her reality. Now, of course, you know, people were still pissed off. People were angry and impatient and all the other things that happened in the emergency department. But if the problem is feeling underappreciated, the only actions, there's only two actions you can take to act in a way that is worthy of appreciation and to be open and receptive and present when it happens. That's where you've got the agency. As you know, for something like this, we just too often let it slide down. We don't even notice that it's there. Pause, take it, embrace it. If the only tool that you have or you know, is just to grit through frustration, you're not going to see these opportunities. Yeah, great story. And to the point in some ways that is exemplified by the 
by the story is you you begin to see what you're looking for. Yes. And, and yes, helping so well her to open her eyes and be receptive to something. It kind of sounds like it changed her paradigm. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to ask you a little bit more about some of the strategies that people can use to change their perspective or learn to move from the wrong kind of grit to maybe more creative thinking. Do you ever feel disorganized with your finances? Ever feel confused about the right strategy with your student loans? Do you wonder about retirement or how to determine if you have the right amount or type of insurance? The Prosperous Doc podcast is sponsored by Spa Dameron Tenney, one of the nation's premier financial planning groups for physicians and dentists. Their website is a host of information available to you for free. Information under their financial resources tab at sdtplanning.com. It includes information and guides for residents and fellows. There's instructions for understanding and tabulating your net worth. There's all kinds of information around retirement or improving the health of your medical or dental practice. In fact, if you like to speak with a real financial planner who has expertise in working with physicians and dentists around the country, there's even a link on there where you can request a real conversation at no cost to you. So check it out today, sdtplanning.com and click on the section labeled financial resources. It'll be a great resource for you and you can start giving clarity to your financial future today. All right, so Rob, we were talking right before the break about the story of the client of yours working in an emergency department, just feeling burned out partially because of, of underappreciation. As, as you highlighted kind of in the first half of the show, physicians are kind of born or come about because of this innate drive and grit and unrelenting pursuit of perfection. Can you learn to think differently and process differently and be self-aware to approach the stress, the anxiety, or potentially even the burnout of the job in a more constructive way? Yes, without question. As you say that, one thing I think of that I find is near universal with clients is inner criticism. Which could, could you imagine if um, you know you you had a kind of an evil twin who sat next to you all day and just whispered in your ear just what a poor job you were doing, <laughs> right? But we have that voice in our head so often, and actually, it's probably helped us get to where we are. You know, this inner critic or this perfectionist inner self that, as a high achiever. Likely there's some aspect of that, but it also becomes maladaptive. And so just kind of the experience of joy in the moment or joy at work, working through this can be incredibly impactful. And there's, um, you know, we have a whole framework of doing this, but just awareness, like only awareness of it as a, like as a first step, the first dish in the air of the 16. And I mean, I want to, uh, I want to share a story about this. Uh, sorry, that it, and this just happened a couple weeks ago. I was hiking up a mountain. So you, well, you can't see this, but over over here, there's a there's a big ski mountain. We we're actually skinning up. My son and I were skinning up, so we put these these things on the bottom of our skis so we can hike up the mountain and then then ski down. It was a beautiful sunny day. The mountain hadn't opened for uh, the season yet, so it was just the two of us on this inc- 
incredible, incredible day. So this is something that we love to do. And my son is 20. He is a machine. I am 53. I am not the machine that he is. And so he, he just takes off and he's gone. And I see he would wait for me. And then he would just be like a quarter mile, half mile up the mountain, just gone. And it was really interesting. Uh, we're here in this beautiful day. And I just felt this sourness building up inside of me. I couldn't, con- you can't control these things when they come up. They just come up. And it was this voice that was saying, maybe not actually saying, but it sounded like it was saying, you suck. Like, you, come on, you're supposed to be fit. Can't even keep up. This sucks. Like what? This is like, this is totally sucks. And he sucks. Why wouldn't he wait for you? That's my son. I mean, I don't care. I'm, I'm glad he's, having, well, not at that moment. This, it, the inner critic criticizes yourself. That's what we usually think about it. Also criticizes others, criticizes the situation. I was getting the trifecta right here. It was on full display. And so, you know, I, I'm doing this work every day, but you think, wow, you, you'd be so aware of it yourself. No, but in this moment, I was like, wait a second. What is going on here? This is so incongruent with the moment. This is a, my inner critic is speaking. And just having awareness of that moment of inner criticism is happening allows distance to happen. Distance between you and that emotion physiologic response. Because when you feel it, the negative emotion comes up, the, the, the judgment, the shame, the anger, whatever. And you know your breathing changes a little bit. It's just this state change. So just pausing, having awareness, allowed that separation, allowed a little recalibration and coming back to what was happening in the present moment. I was out, okay, that's inner critic speaking. Thank you, I hear you. Let's just take a pause I'm out here in this beautiful day with my kid. And let's just, uh, let's just be here. Let's just be here now. And there's other steps that are involved in it, but just that little shift of let's recalibrate. And it took a while, you know, it takes a while for the kind of the sourness or the inner criticism emotion to go down. But that also applies at work, you know, when you're doing something or you're not, you know, meeting up to whatever expectation you have or things aren't going well in the resuscitation bay, that voice can come up as well. And having awareness and being able to navigate that is incredibly, incredibly potent for your effectiveness as a clinician, because then you can think more clearly. You can think in a discerning way rather than a judgmental way, right? Those, the, the clarity of thought at those times is profoundly, profoundly different, but it's also a recipe for joy. You know, if you, it's like, hey, inner critic, I hear you, but let's just, uh, I'd like to have my discerning and non-judgmental and open and warm and curious self or voice speaking right now. You're really bringing up the point of or what I'm hearing from you instead of just pressing down and saying, here's the day and how many patients are we going to have? Is the ED going to be flooded? You know, what's the, what is before me? How late am I going to be staying after to finish charting? That sort of thing. Kind of the being, uh, I'll say really authentic and honest with yourself, which I think for many of us that are driven individuals, whether you're in medicine or not, one of the areas that can be a struggle is acknowledging what is actually going on inside of you and and saying that out loud, at least to yourself, but 
you certainly can't be honest with anyone else, a colleague, a coach, a spouse, a friend, if you're not honest with yourself. And so starting with that, that self-honesty, and then it sounds like you're really introducing the idea of once you're honest with yourself and can kind of look at it and say, all right, here's where I am, you may then be able to introduce gratitude for some element of what's going on as a bit of an alternative choice than just grit. Yeah, gratitude is, is definitely one option. And that's um, if you want to look for a, a state change or a technique to use. But it can be just as simple as shifting from judgment to discernment. And, you know, can I take a step back from this rather than just being fused and, 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 and negative in this moment? So, yeah, there's gratitude, there's discernment, there's curiosity. Of a, um, uh, a friend of mine, one of my colleagues who I, I, I do a lot of projects with, he likes to think of this as Curious George. Says, hey, if you, you know, what does Curious George do? That guy's always got a smile. He's getting into trouble, but he's always got a smile and he's, you know, he's, he's friendly to everyone. He's just really interested in everything that's happening. And so that's another example of, can I shift to a curious mindset or a curious perspective in this moment? And we were talking about Jody Stern, uh, who you had on, on another podcast about compassion. There's another frame shift. If you find yourself in a moment of repulsion about a patient or anger about a patient, can you shift to compassion? And there's ways to do that. Just the mantra of just as I want to be well and happy, I want this person to be well and happy. There are very few doctors that want their patients to be sicker. So that is actually a true thing that is actually within you. So yes, there's gratitude, there's compassion, there's curiosity, warmth, discernment. All of those frame shifts, mindset shifts can get you to the same point. That's a great point to make, just that once you can identify and look at what is going on inside of you, then you can begin to make a judgment on, is that what I want to be choosing or do I want to choose curiosity or gratitude, or generosity, or compassion. I, I have the ability to choose other responses to what's going on right now. Rob, this has been a great conversation. And I can see on my little clock here that we're running up against the, the, the finale. I want to uh, highlight just a minute what you shouted out. And that was uh, the uh, episode 50 of this podcast with Dr. Jody Stern is a great one. So for those of you that are enjoying this conversation, Dr. Stern was a, a delightful guest and talks about compassion. Rob, you've accomplished a lot in your career. You've changed trajectory. You're into a next chapter now. I know you haven't gotten where you are today without the input and contribution of many others. I'm curious, as we wrap up the show here, who comes to mind that you might like to shout out as being just a huge player in your life? So many huge players. I've already already mentioned some. When, you know, when, I, when I was younger, a family friend took me under his wing, taught me how to drive, got me into fitness, helped me build self-confidence. Lenny Weinglass is his name. That was so impactful. When I was in medical training, had a mentor named Ken Walker. Anyone in the South trained at Emory uh, would have known him. He had a very distinctive voice that would talk like this. 
and would ridicule you if it needed to happen in order for you to understand what compassion looks like in medical practice. Oh, I will crush you like a bug. <laughs> he, he, he was a mentor, became a great friend, uh, also had a, a attending named Lee Shockley, who was one of my attendings in residency. And we had a, um, a, hor- a horrible, horrible situation in the emergency department one day where I won't tell about the crime, but a guy committed some heinous, heinous crimes. Like it was just, I mean, I still think about it just with chills, the things that he did. And he was beaten up and had all these injuries. And uh, Dr. Shockley went in and and sewed up some of his lacerations when I I had to, I got called away and I went back to talk to the guy before he went to jail. And he said, oh, who was that guy? He was so kind. I was like, oh. You can have compassion for everyone. You don't have to like their actions. You don't even have to like what they do or like them, but you can still have compassion. And when I started getting, so him for sure, when I started getting into medical education, my brother, Rich, he started me on the whole thing. Not He's an attorney. He's actually now is a filmmaker, but he got me into how to teach through audio. And now like one of my dear friends, he's actually a coaching partner, his name's Scott Weingart. He has been a, kind of a peer mentor for me. And uh, I would not be where I am, I think, without his um, friendship and guidance. So all of those people. It's a great list that you're putting in the uh, closing credits here. And I can only hope that Ken Walker is able to listen to this and just appreciate the the perfect uh, Georgia drawl that you added uh, oh, to, Ken, the, to the shout out. Ken, Ken Walker is no longer with us. So he only lives in the imitations of his voice of all of the students and residents who benefited under his tutelage and sometimes iron fist. Well, in that case, then may his memory live on. Thanks for uh, shouting it out here. And Rob, <laughs> thanks so much for your time today and the gift that you are to the medical community and those that you coach. As I said at the top of the show, Rob is now an executive physician coach. You can find him at roborman.com. We'll put that in the show notes here. Uh, His podcast, Stimulus, you can find on uh, iTunes and Google Play and Spotify and wherever you get your downloads. Rob, thanks so much for being with us. And thank you for joining us for this episode of the Prosperous Doc Podcast. As always, we welcome your reviews and comments, critique, questions, or suggestions. You can email me directly, shane at whitecoatwell.com. We'll see you back here next time. Thanks so much. Thank you, Shane. This episode of the Prosperous Doc Podcast is over, but you're not alone on your journey. Spa Dameron Tenney has been helping physicians and dentists prosper through financial planning for over 60 years. To connect with us, visit sdtplanning.com today and take your financial wellness to new levels. Join us on the next episode of the Prosperous Doc Podcast.